Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, if you got your Bible, I want you to grab it, and we're going to be in the book of Romans. So make sure you got your Bible, got your device, maybe your tablet, or maybe your phone, and you're going to be following along with us. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. I was overzealous last week. I went through all of Romans chapter 7. I'll talk a little bit about some of those things as we get into this. Today we're only going to do verses 1 through 18 in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. And as we get ready to dive into God's Word today, you know, sometimes I look for stories and things as we get ready to dive into God's Word. And as, as I'm looking for things to kind of build as a, as a launching pad, sometimes I'll read a story and I go, man, did that really happen? And I had to look this one up and, and just make sure. I heard this story of a young man who was sitting on a park bench and he was crying. And there was a little boy who was uh, sitting next to him is a very awkward moment for this little boy because you have this older gentleman who's crying right next to him. And, and he got the courage up to ask this older gentleman. He said, can I just ask you, he said, well, what's wrong? Tell me what's, what's going on. And so this is many years ago. And so the man proceeded to tell him that his brother was on death row and was expected to be executed in the next few days and that he desperately wanted to ask President Abraham Lincoln if he would pardon his brother. And as I went and did some study of this, believe it or not, this is actually kind of a a common thing. I didn't realize that, uh, especially during this time period, that people could be put on death row and executed, especially if they were a soldier who ran from war or ran from their post or ran from their position. And so it was a common thing that, that they could be executed, but that the president of the United States could pardon them. And so this young boy, after hearing this, this gentleman's story, grabbed him, took him by the hand. He said, I want you to come with me. And so he took him by the hand and he walked in uh, to where the White House was, walked past the guards walked through the gates and passed the secretary and nobody mumbled a word and the man couldn't couldn't believe it in the midst of his grief he couldn't believe it he was filled with wonder and he couldn't have gotten past any of these folks in order to see the president if he had tried but here this little boy was walking him straight past every single person right into the president's office. And President Lincoln stood up when he saw the young man, when he entered the room, and he looked at the boy and he said, how can I help you, son? See, the reason the son was able to get past all of those is because is that, that Abraham Lincoln, the one who was running the country at the time, was his father. And and the reality for us as we get ready to dive into God's Word, as we get ready, we're we're already thinking about this upcoming Saturday being July 4th, and we're already thinking about the the freedom of our country. The reality is it's not the brother who is on death row, but the reality is as we have been reading through the book of Romans and studying through the book of Romans, that it was us who was on death row. 
that you and I, with our sin and our failure to follow a pure and holy God, were the ones who were on death row. And the only one who can pardon us from our crimes and the sins against God the Father is God the Father. And in order for us to receive that pardon, we too have to go through the Son. The whole reason that the man on the park bench was able to get where he needed to go was because he had that relationship, even in the moment, with the Son. And so with that in the back of our minds, I want us to start right here in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Notice right here, talking about the Son, for those in Christ Jesus. Now, this, this word right here, condemnation, is the Greek word katakrima, and it describes literally a, a final sentence, a dooming decision. And we saw the struggle that Paul was having last week. He was so broken. He was so broken and the emotion just pours forth from his words in verse 24 of chapter 7 where he said, Oh, what a wretched man I am. He realized how broken he was. That he had this sin nature and he knew what was right. He knew what God had called him to do and he knew in the back of his mind what, what God needed him to do in order for him to be holy and righteous. But he said, I can't do it. And so he just comes to this conclusion. What a wretched man I am. And then in verse 25 of chapter 7 says, thanks be to God. Through who? Through the Son. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. And so if you've got your notes this morning, just want you to look out. We don't have a blank right here in the very first part, but I do want you to see how important this is that for all of us in the room today who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is what I've entitled our, our sermon today, our declaration of freedom. I once was convicted. I once was convicted. I was convicted of my sin. The gavel had come down that I was on death row. I was separated from a pure and holy God. But now I've been cleared because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is our declaration of freedom, is that I once was convicted. All of us were in that boat. There's not one of us that, that can say, and we've talked about this, oh, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. You, at one point, were lost, but now Jesus has saved you and found you if you have put your faith and your trust, and now that you have have been cleared. And so notice it, it's not like the 4th of July when our, our country's forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence. I, I want us to understand here, freedom isn't necessarily independence. Can I say that one more time? Freedom isn't necessarily independence. I think so many times we lock that in our minds. Freedom is all about independence. No, it's not. When it comes especially to our freedom in Christ, don't miss this. Our freedom in Christ is absolutely a declaration of dependence. Our deep need for Jesus. 
our deep need for the Son. And so that's why Paul says in verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now check this out in verse 2. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then you get this third law right here. Notice in verse 3 it says, What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. And so here's what I want you to see. Go ahead and pull out your notes. I don't want you to miss this. The text is going to ask us to consider three laws. Three different laws. Now, these three laws that we're going to be talking about aren't all do's and don'ts. Now, one of them is because it'll be talking about the, the, the Old Testament law. But they aren't all do's and don'ts. The ones that we're going to be focusing in on today are laws a lot like the law of gravity. See, the law of gravity isn't like a, a do or don't. It, it's, more of a, it's more of a principle, okay? And it, it's, it, it's, it's different than a, than a law like don't drive over the speed limit. It is a spiritual principle. And so we're going to be looking mostly today at these spiritual principles. But I want you to see the, the law, first and foremost, that you've got your notes, the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life. Right here in verse 2 it says, Because, look at this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Now understand, it, it, it's talking here about the Holy Spirit. Okay, So it's not just talking about just a mere principle. It is talking about the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive in in just a little while and we're going to talk about what, what is this whole law of the Spirit of life? What in the world is that talking about? The second law that we've got going on here is the law, you guessed it, of sin and death. The law of sin and death. Look at the second part of verse 2. So law of spirit of life has set you free from, look, the law of sin and death. There is certainly a force, and we're going to use this analogy throughout our time together today, which is much like gravity that brings us down. Your sinful nature that we have been talking about in weeks past, your sin nature, your flesh nature is like gravity. It brings you down. It keeps you from living for God. And while you might know in your mind, the way Paul talked about last week, you might know in your mind what is right, what is good, but there is something inside of you that keeps drawing you back to doing the things that God doesn't want you to do. That's why Paul said, last week. What's wrong with me? I, I do the things that I don't want to do. And the things that, I, that I'm supposed to do, that, that, that give me joy and, and that, I'm, that I want to walk with God, he said, I don't do those things. What is wrong with me? There was a force, and that was his sin nature, much like gravity, that brings him down every time. And then finally, right here, 
The last one that, just kind of reiterating what we talked about uh, in chapter 7, the third one that it talks about here is the law of Moses. The law of Moses. And that's talking about the old Mosaic law that Moses received on Mount Sinai. In verse 3, what the law, that law, could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned the sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. And then it talks about it again. In order that the laws required would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's going to provide a almost like a, a thesis statement for what we're going to be looking at. And so what we've been talking about is, is if there was no Mosaic law, no Old Testament law, then there would be no guilt. But the Mosaic law is our mirror that reveals to us all of the, all of the sinful blemishes that we have. And so what I wanted to do today is I just wanted to kind of give you an idea of, of how I do a little bit of, of studying the Bible. I want to encourage you um, maybe to do something like this. Can we put a little picture up here on the screen? This is what I, my, my Bible actually looks like. I love to get different colors because let me tell you, with all these different laws, sometimes if you're studying your Bible by yourself, or you know, sometimes you can just get confused. And so what I like to do is I actually go to Walmart and I get some colored pencils. And I just do different things in different colors. And so you can see I've got the law of spirit of life in blue, the law of sin and death in red, and then the law, talking about the Mosaic law, right here in purple. And each time you can see these three different laws, but the whole time I've done them in different colors so that even that they stand out for us together. And I would encourage you, you might, you might consider doing something like that if you want to continue and study this passage together. So let's talk about our flesh versus God's spirit. Let's talk about our flesh um, in, in relation to God's spirit as we come together, okay? So last Sunday, we saw how the Apostle Paul was in a fierce battle. It was his sin nature, his flesh, against what he knew was righteous and holy. And we talked about how this was his desire versus his discernment, what he knew. And so I just want to tack on to this idea of gravity that we've been talking about. You know, most of y'all know of the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers. Can you believe that it's been over, well over a hundred years since the airplane was invented, before the airplane was invented, did you know they were working with gliders and things like that? And so they had their success of their glider, the Wright brothers, in 1902. And there was a race, if you will, to see who could have the first man flight. And they had other folks with more money and more knowledge and all these types of things that were racing. I mean, they, they had more news and things like that. And then you just got these... These two guys, you know, out of North Carolina who, who are just trying to design this thing. And so in 1902, they developed a glider. And the Wright uh, brothers were, they weren't content to just merely add to the growing body of aeronautical knowledge. They were going to invent the airplane. But still, they recognized that a lot of hard work lay ahead, especially the creation of a propulsion system. But during the spring and summer of 1903, they were consumed with leaping that final hurdle into history. And so on December 17th, it might have been cold, it would be cold to be outside, but in December 17th, 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright made four brief flights at Kitty Hawk with their first powered aircraft. 
And the Wright brothers had invented the first successful airplane. Well, Pastor Dan, why did you bring that up? Because for centuries, I want you to grab this. For centuries, man had been without flight. Man had been without the invention of the airplane. And we take it for granted. Most of history, I want you to think, this thing has only been around for, uh, you know, a little over 100 years. And we take for granted. We go to the airport. We get on, you know, flights. We go where, where we need to go. I know that the, the, uh, the, the air business is hurting right now. But, but it's something that we still, we just take for granted. And many, I mean, we're talking for centuries. They tried and they failed. Why? Because there is a natural force that holds us down, right? There is a natural force called gravity and it takes something outside of ourselves, don't miss this, with the right power in order for us to soar. Did you catch that? It takes something outside of ourselves with the right power in order for us to soar. If I was to go on the top of our school building right now, it's only a two-story building, and I were to go out there and I were to open up my arms and I were to jump off and I would say, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly. I would not fly because the natural law is for me to fall. Do you follow my thinking? I might survive, but I'd be pretty beat up. I want us to think about that in context of our walk with Christ. We try to white knuckle our way to God. We try to live for him. And the reality is that's like you. If you've ever tried to live for God out of your own strength, your own ability, your own righteousness, then you are doing a fail. And yet people over and over and over, it's just like jumping off a two-story building or higher. They keep trying, but we need something. Not just something. We need someone outside of ourselves with power in order that we might soar. So who is that? Well, I want you to see this. There is a battle. There is a battle. And so I want you to write this down. The battle is over which one controls you. You've got your flesh, your flesh. Your ability versus God's spirit. And the battle is over which one is in control. There is a battle over who controls you and the tendency in your fleshly desire. I mean, let's just talk about fleshly desires. I mean, you know them. I feel them. I experience them. Pride, lust, unforgiveness, lying, greed, idolatry. Don't, don't miss this. Your flesh and my flesh wants to control you. It wants to control you. And, and look what happens right here in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, he talks about this. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. So you have your flesh which brings you down. You have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God which allows you to soar outside of yourself, giving you power outside of yourself. But what is the battleground? The battleground, don't miss this, it's right there on the page, is, write this down, your 
mind. Your mind. If we could just grab this. If we could just grab this. I want you to hear this. I want to speak a word of truth to you. Whatever controls your mind controls you. Whatever controls your mind controls you. If sin occupies your mind, sin will control you. If Christ or the Spirit of Christ occupies your mind, then the Spirit will control you. That's why later on we'll get there in a couple chapters, but Romans chapter 12 talks about renewing your mind. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but renew your mind. The problem is, like gravity, is that your mind is naturally brought low because you are bent in that direction. And so therefore you need something with the capability and the power to bring your mind where it needs to be. And the answer is it's not a something, it is a someone, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And so we see right here in, in, in verse 5 that, yeah, we set our minds on those things, but now look with me in verse 6. It describes what's taking place. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit Spirit is life and peace. So I want you to write that down. The mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Now, Pastor Sam, what, is, what does that mean? Well, th this is fascinating. I, I just want to, as you write that down, I just, I just want to explain a few things to you. I think that they'll kind of take it to a little bit of a, a deeper level. The Greek word for flesh is the word sarks. Greek word for flesh is the word sarks. And it's actually where we get our word sarcastic, which literally means to tear flesh. I don't know if you knew that. So just as a side note, this isn't part of today's sermon, but you need to be careful with your words because while you might take pride in being how sarcastic you can be and how sarcastic you are, there's a world of people that are probably hurting because you tore their flesh with your sarcasm. Because that's what it means. So you have to be careful. But then there's also the Greek word for spirit, which means it's pneuma. It's the Greek word pneuma. And it literally means, don't miss this, wind or breath. Wind or breath. And, and so you might think, okay, what, what is the significance? But all throughout the scriptures, we have this relationship with the word spirit and, and literally wind and breath. If you go back to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, And then you get, this, you get this weird thing that goes on. It says that he breathed on them. Uh, whenever I read that passage, you know, not knowing this, I thought, man, why did he breathe on them? You know, somebody breathes on me. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, what's going on? He said, receive the spirit and then he breathed on him. The correlation here is because the word spirit and the word uh, wind or breath are the same. They are synonymous with one another. And so there's another way that they knew if you were, if you were dead, if your body was dead and that your spirit had left the body was simply this. If there was no wind in you. Does that make sense? So while, you know, we might take a pulse in the year 2020, but back in those days, how do you know if someone's dead? They're not breathing. The wind isn't in them. Therefore, the spirit uh, in their body isn't in them. And so they were dead. Now, I want you to take that into consideration here. The mindset of the flesh is death. 
But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Any person that is operating without the Spirit of God. Remember, if you don't have the wind inside you, you are dead. Any person that is operating without the Spirit of God. And even as Christians, we do. We have the Spirit of God indwelt in us. But that doesn't mean that we're listening to the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that, that we're living according to the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so if we are not living, it says that the flesh is death. It's almost like being a spiritual zombie where you're walking around, but you're dead. And so... They are, what I saw even, even this past week, uh, it was a, a famous movie producer who had inherited $600 million. Can you imagine? He lived a life of, of fame and luxury and worldly success. But I saw on the news this week that he had committed suicide. He had everything. He had achieved the American dream. But what he did not have was life and Peace. Do you see how this passage just comes alive? The mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset of the spirit is life and peace. But the next thing that I want you to write down is not just that, is that the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It's not just death, but it's hostile to God. Look at verse 7 right here. In verse 7 it says, The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. And so there's that gravity, that mindset that pulls you down. And it doesn't just pull you down. What the scriptures tells us here is that it is at war with God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, guys, you don't realize at one point you were enemies of God. Enemies. That in our flesh nature, that we are at war with God. And we, that, that we are hostile to God. But then, here's what I want you to write down. But the mindset of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God inside of us pleases God. We see right here in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. So what does that infer? It infers that those who are in the Spirit can please God. And now, this is great and good to talk about on a theoretical level. But to catch yourself daily when you begin to live according to the flesh in real life is something else entirely because while some people have the Spirit of God indwelling inside of them, can I just be honest with you? They ain't on that plane. It, it, it still seems that they are on the ground. Can I, can I just share something from my heart? It's not always this type of situation, but I just want to give you a practical example of how sometimes I just see Christians that are living according to the flesh. And, you know, we're talking about this on, on this level. I just want to bring, I just want to bring this down. Can I just share this? Uh, just very practical that there are Christians, Christians, that I will not go out to eat at a restaurant with. Now, I know a lot of us aren't going out to eat at restaurants right now very often, okay? But even before this, there were certain Christians that I would not go out to eat at a restaurant with. Because, I'll tell you why. Because I know how they treat their servers. I wouldn't do it. 
Tree is known by its fruit, the Bible says. And you can say, oh, Pastor Dan, that's just their personality. That's just the way they were raised. No, it's more. Because there's the fruit of the Spirit. And if I could just remind you, that's the same fruit that we're talking about that pleases God that we're looking at in this passage. And it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace. Later on down the list, it's kindness. And so I want us to see that this isn't something, some lofty theological living according to the flesh. This is something that is very practical, that we please God by living according to the Spirit. And you may say, well, Pastor Dan, that's their personality. That's the way they were raised. But mark my words, it's their sin nature putting on a show. And it's against God and everything he stands for. And that's just one example it's not just going out to eat and things like that, but I want us to understand that, that some Christians, they're saved, but they're grounded. They haven't flown with the Spirit in years because they are the pilot of their life rather than the Holy Spirit being the pilot of their life. And, and that's why I'm just going to put myself out there. That's why you see even sometimes Christians who have crashed and burned because they weren't living according to the Spirit. They were piloting their own life on their own. And you can't do it. You can't do it. It's not, not the way that God designed you. And then here's, check this out in verse 9. Don't miss this. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Don't miss this. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what does that tell us? That tells us that there is a mark that is on Christians. Here's how you know that someone is a true Christian, is if they have the seal, the way the Bible describes the Spirit, if they have the seal of God, the Spirit of God inside of them. And the Spirit of God convicts us. I remember one time when I was a teenager, I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I knew Him. I had gotten saved when I was 12 years old. And I tell you, I, sometimes you don't always experience this, but I felt the Spirit come inside of me in that moment. But later on, I went through a rebellious streak. And when I went through that rebellious streak, let me tell you, some of y'all already know what I'm about to say, is that even when I did little sins and when I, was, and I said, I'm not going to live according to God, I'm going to do what I want to do, that little voice in the back of my mind, Dan, this isn't God's best for your life. Dan, this isn't what I designed for you. And if you don't have that in the back of your mind, if you don't have, I mean, every little thing, every cigarette that I lit, every cuss word that came out of my mouth, and sometimes there were many of them, every single time the Spirit of God says, it's not my best. It's not what I designed you for. You're not flying. And I want us to see if you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, then you do not know Christ. It's right there on the page. And then I want you to see what happens. Next thing in your notes is your flesh will die. We know this. Your flesh will die. Verse 10, as we see it says, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. All of us will die because of our sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So your flesh will die, but His Spirit will raise you. 
And then look in verse 11, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. I, I, I just, you just got to grab this. You just got to grab this. The same Spirit of God, third part of the Trinity, that raised Jesus from the dead, okay, Greatest miracle. Jesus is dead in the tomb and the Spirit of God raises him up from the dead. Now let me tell you, that's power, okay? I haven't seen too many people be raised from the dead. Have you? That's power when someone is raised from the dead. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, don't miss this, lives inside you. Now that's power. So many times that we don't think we have the power, but we do. And his spirit will raise us also. And just as a little side note, I want to show you up here on the screen. I just showed you back and forth throughout my Bible. Every time it talks about being according to the flesh, I underline something in red. Every time it talks about living according to the spirit, I underline it in blue. It's just another way for you to be able to see the back and forth. But the final thing that I want us to see is that life in the spirit, life in the spirit as we move in to verse 12. Write this down. So what is this life in the Spirit? Not only does it give us power, not only does it raise us as well, but it also, look at this, write this down, it makes you his child. He adopts you. Now, let's take a little closer look here. It says in verse 12, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Red underline here. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But, blue underline, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God, remember we talked about you're not a Christian unless you got the Spirit of God. If, if you're led by the Spirit of God, now let's take it one step further. You are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So he makes you his child. God adopts you. Can, can I tell you, it's one thing to go to the hospital. When a baby of a friend or a family member is born. But can I tell you one of the coolest things that I have ever done as a pastor, ever been a part of, was I went to an adoption party. It was a family that adopted a child. And, you know, it was, the child was older. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at this adoption party. The family had been fostering and man the opportunity arose and they made a child a part of their family and can I just tell you when when I was at there and I was just I just said a few words I used this exact same passage because adoption listen to me adoption is a perfect representation of the gospel it is a perfect representation of the gospel, of being adopted by Christ. But let's just talk about a little bit what that means. Write this down. Adoption. Don't miss this. You might forget this when you think about adoption. Adoption severs the natural relationship 
A lot of times when we think about adoption, we just think about a child going in and being brought in a, in a new family, you know? And it's exciting. It's beautiful. I love it. But the reality is adoption also severs that natural relationship, whoever the caregiver was before. The natural parents are no longer the guardians. They have given up their rights. And I just want you to grab this. I want you to see how beautiful this is. Your sin nature, like the old parent who used to guide your life, now you have been severed from. That old nature no longer has authority over you. And so how weird is it that you keep running back to the old nature, to the person who used to be in charge. You keep running back to that. And when we continue to run back to that old nature, something is wrong because adoption considers severing that relationship. And then here's what happens. Adoption legally binds your new relationship. It legally binds your new relationship. Now, I want to make sure that I, may, that I put this point out there for those who have been adopted. For many of y'all know that my wife uh, was adopted. Um, and so I know that we've got some adoptive families. I'm so thankful for the adoptive families in here. I don't want this to say or imply by any stretch of imagination if a child or if even an adult wants to know who their parent was or to have a relationship um, with them. But I just want us, the reason I'm using that as an example is because the text uses that as an example. And I just want us to make sure that when we talk about this, that we talk about how that old nature no longer has a authority in our life the same way that if you have been adopted even if you have a relationship with a natural parent that natural parent doesn't have authority in your life and so adoption what does it do it legally binds your new relationship it legally binds while some families are started in the hospital room adoption starts in the courtroom there is a legal transaction whereby you are given a new identity. Don't miss this. When it comes to Christ, it's not just a new identity. It is a royal identity. You are a child of God. And so that's why we sing songs, how we're no longer a slave to fear. We're no longer a slave to anxiety or sin. Do you know who I am? I am royalty because I have been adopted. The king of kings is my daddy, and now I am his child. So you can tell that fear. You can tell that anxiety. You can tell that sin. You can tell that, that sinful nature inside of you. Do you have have any idea who I am that's what you tell it because now you have been legally binded in a new relationship as one commentator said that is a beautiful picture of the spiritual adoption whereby God graciously and lovingly seeks out unworthy men and women on his own initiative and makes them his children solely on the basis of their trust in his true son Jesus Christ it's beautiful. So not only do you have this new relationship, but check this out. You're also, he also makes you an heir and he rewards you. Life according to the Spirit, God makes you an heir and he rewards you. Look with me in verse 17. It says, and if children also heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And then we'll talk about this more next week. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified with him. So the idea of Christians being adopted, God's adopted children, was clearly understood by the Apostle Paul and the contemporaries of his time to signify great honor and great privilege. Did you know in the Roman world, grab this, in the Roman world in which this was written, if you didn't like your kids and you didn't want your legacy and your estate to be squandered when you were gone, you could adopt another child to have it. You could even adopt an adult to have it. So it didn't always have to be a child. And so the people would say, I get this, that it was an honor in order to be adopted. And here's what I want you to see with an earth, earthly inheritance. When we think about an inheritance that you are given here on this earth, with an earthly inheritance, you receive a fraction. You receive a fraction. It's unfortunate, but sometimes when I have done funerals, uh, not everyone wants to act like a Christian during that funeral time or maybe post Funeral time and a parent will die and then the kids will fight. Why does that happen? Because everybody wants a piece of the pie. And while they should be grieving mom or dad or grieving that person in their life, mourning them and celebrating their legacy, and a lot of times they're fighting because there's a fraction. But that's within an earthly inheritance. But here's what I want you to see. Final note, write this down. With a heavenly inheritance, you receive it fully. That's what it's talking about here. And if children also heirs, heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Not a fraction of the spiritual blessings Every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's enough to go around. As we get ready to, to close today, I, I um, was uh, considering the, the, the movie, I don't know if you, you saw it years ago, Rain Man. It was, came out and it was 1988. It won an Oscar for, for Best Picture. And uh, the idea behind this movie, Rain Man, as you know, that there was a uh, wheeler dealer who named, whose name was Charlie. He was played by Tom Cruise, and he discovered that his, uh, his estranged father had died and bequeathed all of his multi-million dollar estate to another son who he did not know about. And Tom Cruise's character was given the car. And a few other things, but he wanted that million dollar estate. But the estate was given to his brother, Raymond, who was played by Dustin Hoffman, who was unaware. And so, you know, Charlie breaks him out of the institution that, that he is in and, and, um, and gives him, you know, tries to take him along this journey. And so the, the, the correspondence with one another and the, and the reality is... Dustin Hoffman's character, Raymond, he had no concept of the money and the inheritance that he had been given. Because of his condition, he only cared about minute-to-minute -minute things. He only cared about things like apple juice and Cheetos. 
You only care about things like watching people's court on TV. And he didn't, he had received this enormous inheritance, but he didn't understand it because his condition prevented him for un, from understanding the value of what he had been given. And I think so many times, especially in our world today, we have to live our lives according to the Spirit because the condition in which we have, the sinful nature, it focuses on and maybe not Cheetos and apple juice, but it focuses on worldly things rather than the heavenly inheritance that we have been given. And I want you to hear loud and clear what happens is when we live according to the Spirit that we begin to think on a different playing field. Are you thinking according to the inheritance that God has already given you? That is our declaration of freedom. That our sins have been forgiven and that we are now children of God. Let's live like it.